So the studies are in, and it turns out that Americans are more bored with life than ever. <laughs> Which is incredible, right? When, when you, you think about it, considering the amount of external sources of entertainment available thanks to the internet, that are as close and accessible as the cell phones in our pockets. Movies, TV, video games, audiobooks, and yet folks of all ages complain of chronic boredom. We want the sensational, extraordinary. We want the big news stories or the juiciest celebrity scandals or, or even the latest iteration from the, the Marvel Universe of the underdog turned superhero who, who rises up to save the day. But before we get too hard on our own contemporary culture, we need to recognize that the experience of boredom is nothing new, even among the so-called people of God. And I know I've mentioned this to you before, uh, one of my favorite Christian devotional authors is a, a man by the name of G.K. Chesterton, uh, a guy who wrote kind of around the uh, mid or at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, and he said, there is no such thing as an uninteresting subject. The only thing that can exist is an uninterested person. <laughs> no such thing as an uninteresting subject. The only thing that can exist is an uninterested person. And as insightful as that is, it was deference, of course, to Chesterton. I want to suggest that one more uh, rung to that light of the boredom scale. Uh, a degree, I think, is actually higher than the uninterested person and much more insidious, uh, and that is the self-interested person. The one the Bible describes in Hebrews chapter 6, that uh, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and yet they walk away unchanged. And we're going to see that play out today in living color in the actions and in the attitudes of the men and women that we saw uh, last week satisfied with the bread and the fish at the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, men and women, now keep in mind, who have been in the presence of the Lord for a whole long day of preaching and teaching and healing at the hands of the Son of God. And yet we're evidently so bored with all of that that when they caught up to Jesus the next day, all they really wanted to know was, how they can get some more of that word. Right? That's what they said. So let's take a look at it together. But just by way of a really quick explanation first, if you've been following the lectionary reading and preaching from, I'm actually going to be combining the next three weeks' worth of gospel lessons all into today's sermon. Uh, instead of treating them separately the way the lectionary does, because in my opinion, uh, they make all three readings together make sense better as a whole, the way Jesus originally so we're actually going to be looking at John chapter 6, but we're going to be reading verses 22 to 58. So that's a nice little chunk, but uh, it all really goes together. So if you're following along, Gospel of John chapter 6, beginning in the 22nd verse. Where we read, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that uh, there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, 
I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about it, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whosoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the Father ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from you. And so, uh, Father, take now what we've read and, and had heard read to us and, and nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So Jesus is, uh, is talking again to the, the crowd that had followed him across the lake. Followed him, he, he said, because uh, they had their stomachs filled. 
And he's basically asked, and the people are basically asking him, what have you done for us lately? Because in their mind, of course, even though they had seen Jesus feed 5,000 just yesterday, well, this was another day. And their stomachs weren't full anymore. Some of the more enterprising of the group uh, remembered from their history that during the exodus in the wilderness that Moses had given people bread every day, as much as they could eat. And so they quote to Jesus a line from Psalm 78. Uh, he rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. And so they thought, hey, uh, we don't want to just have this miracle bread on just one day, but every day. So Jesus, if you're supposed to be our Messiah, if you want us to see and believe, well, let's get the lunch line started. Fire up the heavenly bakeries, right? Bring on, bring on the bread. Keep on doing your signs. But instead, Jesus points out the error of their self-interest that they're displaying. And he really begins to put his finger right at the, the truth behind their apparent boredom with the blessings of God. And so we read, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from him. You see, the people were so focused on getting just the part of this experience that they wanted, they totally missed the historical fact that Moses was not the giver of the bread, but God was. Jesus' father was. So I read it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father. And not only was Moses not the main point in the miracle, neither was the manna. Because his point was just a point to something bigger. And that point was that there is a true bread from heaven, namely Jesus. And he's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. So the people say, in effect, okay, yeah, that, that's the ticket, sir. Uh, give us this bread always. Be our Moses. Just keep on giving us that living bread to fill up our stomachs. And it's right there in verse 35 that we read that finally, for the first time in this discourse, that Jesus says explicitly that he's talking about himself. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Super easy message to hear and preach so far, right? But it doesn't stop there. In fact, our Lord barely pauses because his very next word in the text is but. And, and what is the word but used for? It, it, it's a conjunction used, the dictionary tells us, to introduce something contrasting with what's already been mentioned. Right? It's, a, it's this for, said contrast is coming. So Jesus says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So now he's beginning to get out of people's comfort zones a little bit. He, he's saying stuff that people don't really like to hear, that then or now. He's making his audience a little upset. And you know why? And if you don't remember anything else that I say to you today, not another thing, if you don't remember anything else from this message, church, don't miss this. The gospel is not about you. Okay. Did you catch that? The gospel is not about you. And not about me either. Jesus kind of started out his message today with that truth bomb. And the people clearly understood what he meant. They just didn't like it. 
when Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will what? Give you. Yeah. Does somebody give you what you work for and you earn? If you work, right, you earn a wage. So it must not be that Jesus is telling people to work up their own salvation because he just called it a gift. And don't take my word for it. Remember what comes next in the text. Then the people said to him, well, okay, what must, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Good question, right? What stuff do we have to do? Right, what, do we have to walk down the aisle, check that off, join the church, check that off, actively invite as many people as you can to, to come until the church gets filled up and we're all uh, really rocking along, check that off. Don't play cards. Do donate money. Ladies, don't wear slacks. Uh, fellas, uh, don't, don't cuss and don't drink and don't chew and don't go out with girls that do. <laughs> Good day to you, guys. Is that the works of righteousness? No. Not even close. Even though some of those things may be good rules to obey, but church, that is not the gospel. Because the gospel is all of God from beginning to end. That's why Jesus said to their, what works, right, plural, what works, must we do to be doing the right stuff question. Jesus answered, this is the work, this is the work of God that you believe in him when you say. Young's literal translation says it this way. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you may believe in him who he did send. So it's not the idea that you must figure out how to do something, but rather because of the person and work of Jesus Christ that you and I may, as in we may have permission to believe something by faith, and that's Jesus Christ alone for salvation because it is the work of God on our behalf. And it's not of yourself, lest anyone should boast. Otherwise, what do we need Jesus for anyway? What do we need Jesus for if we can do it ourselves? We have the ability to earn it or work it up by human effort. And the people that day knew exactly what Jesus was really getting at because their comeback was, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see you and believe? What work do you perform? They said, okay, if you, if you claim that faith is the work of God, let's see what you got. Get to work. Because I'm not buying it. But the really dumb part is by saying that they just proved Jesus' point for him, didn't they? So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so Jesus has all the bases covered here, doesn't he? He says, saving faith under eternal life is the work of God. You may have permission to believe. And he follows it up really quickly with no one can have the ability to believe savingly unless the Father draws him. And again, the Greek there is instructive because that word draw in the Greek isn't just like the way we try to draw people out of bed enticingly with uh, the smells of fresh bacon and frying in the kitchen or, or morning coffee brewing, but it's literally to be impelled by the Spirit. 
and, and this actually this makes a great place to kind of stop and ask in, in our modern day context, of, okay, Pastor, who really cares? What, what difference does it make? And because either way, the bottom line is we have to have faith in Jesus, right? Right. To which I say a hearty yes and amen, but church, it matters what kind of faith we're talking about, and more importantly, where it springs from. So consider it like this. Ask yourself, right from the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, how did the Pharisees and the Sadducees think they were going to be saved as they strutted around trumpeting all of their accomplishments? Yeah, they thought they were going to be saved by, thank you, say it out loud. By, yes, they thought they were going to be saved by working for it, by keeping the law. And when Jesus told them differently, they wanted to stone him. And eventually they crucified him. And then ask yourself, what happened everywhere the Apostle Paul planted churches? The Judaizers came along behind him and said, this Jesus stuff is good and all, but it's not enough. You need to add something. You need to add a little something to that faith here. Like in their case, they wanted him to add circumcision. Which Paul wrote very clearly against in Galatians 5. He said, a little leaven, a little false doctrine, leavens the whole lump. And I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and... The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever it is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, if I still preach works righteousness, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And then he says, I wish those who, who preach circumcision, who want to settle you, would just go ahead and cast them themselves. Presumably so they don't breed any more followers who will dog false steps and beat him senseless and chase him from town to town for preaching the doctrines of grace. And don't miss what Paul said about the offense of the cross here. It's exactly the same thing Jesus was explaining to the people who grumbled that day in John 6, because they didn't like how he presented the gospel. They didn't like the reality of God-centered plan of salvation. But why is that offensive? Why does that make people grumble? Why, why is that kind of grace the last thing you will hear in the worldly church? Well, church, is because it's exactly what I told you not to forget, even if you forgot anything else. Because the gospel is not about you. Right? Can I jump up and down? The gospel is not about you. And it's not about me. It's getting Pentecostal, John. I'm sorry. I've settled down. <laughs> but, but let me ask you another one. Let me ask you from a different angle. Why isn't the idea of workspace righteousness offensive to people. Why, why do people swallow it down so easily? Why are our local churches so full of it? Well, it's because that's they're, what they're really talking about is their favorite topic themselves. It's because by and large, it's the faith of self-centered people who only want to focus on the me, on capital letter I, on what I can accomplish, and how much more I can accomplish than you, and how smart I am. And how educated I am, and how hardworking I am, and how spiritually gifted I am, working my way toward my own salvation. When the truth is, Isaiah already told us hundreds of years before, even our most righteous works are only filthy rags before a holy God. And we know, church, that there is not one single thing we can do to contribute, says Jonathan Edwards the work of our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. There is not one single thing we can do to contribute to the work of salvation except the sin that made it necessary. But that's not flashy. 
That, that's, that's not electrifying. That, that is very unlikely to fill seats in stadiums or even in churches. But church, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. And that's the message that those that are in the faith, as Jesus said, are taught by God. By His Holy Spirit. It doesn't come through human wisdom, but through the most extraordinary things in the midst of the most ordinary places, like here today. Learning by the Holy Spirit that we have a living Savior who feeds living bread to bodies born dead in sin and who gives them as a gift eternal life. We pray together. God, our Father, is truly right in our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially in this Holy Supper. We call in that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ and asking you by the joy of his resurrection and an expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this place and in this time that eyes can be opened, that hearts can be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts. That this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.